Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Heart Moms Club podcast. I'm your host, Aubrey Brown, and today we're recording episode number three of the Heart Moms Club podcast. We do have a special guest today. We're meeting with Jess. Um, She runs the Facebook page for her son, Warriors for Lane. And we had the best chat about all the different things, social media, dealing with hospitals. There were a lot of things we touched on, and I'm excited to have her back later and dive more into some of the specifics. But I thought this would be a great way to kick off having another guest. And this is the first guest that I didn't know. Um, Me and Jess had never connected before, but I had been following her Facebook page and I posted in a heart mom group wondering if anybody wanted to potentially be a guest. And I had so many amazing moms reach out to me and say, heck yeah, I'd love to share a story. Or they gave me ideas on what they wanted to hear about. And so I'm just super excited to dive more into this podcast and to help everyone stay connected. That being said, I have not been able to upload these podcasts as quickly as I anticipated. And I think it's because right now I am really struggling in the heart mom world. And I know others are too and whatnot, and this is a resource to help these situations, but, well, first, yesterday, we actually had a CT scan on Theo, and we also replaced his G-tube with a GJ-tube, and so I was able to read the preliminary results that the radiologist does in terms of the CT scan, and it brought up a lot of airway situations or pulmonology issues that we have not had. And so I'm trying to remain calm until our cardiologist does his part of the CT scan reporting and brings it all together and then gives me a call and explains everything. But you guys know as well as I do, looking terms up that are in your Children's Connect or my chart or any of the reports is first not a good idea, but we can't help it. In my situation, I want to kind of have a heads up and kind of be aware of some of these terms so that way I can research and I know what questions I need to ask. And if if I'm completely blindsided by everything, I get shell-shocked and I don't I don't ask the questions that I should. And then I end up having to go back and forth a million times. And it's just, it makes me feel better to have that sense of control that I can look the the terms up, even if they're not ideal. So everyone just fingers crossed that we get good news by the end of this week or early next week, and we can make a game plan for little Theo. But in addition to Theo's stuff that he's got going on, I've talked in these podcasts a little bit about baby Everly, who lost her battle almost a month ago now. And I talked about Oliver, baby Oliver. Um, Both of those babies' moms are part of my very close heart mom group. We are the ones that have a group chat going. We are the ones who we all initially had treatment done at Omaha Children's Hospital in Nebraska here. And We just were able to connect and um, Oliver and Theo have a similar diagnosis and um, Everly had a different one, but we were all just very close. And there's a couple other heart moms that are in this group chat that we're struggling right now because not only did baby Everly lose her battle, but baby Oliver did too. And 
it's tough. It's very, very tough. And it's hard not to feel guilty when you see your friends go through these hard times and you can still hold your baby. And so I'm trying to process some of these emotions and to be there for my friends when they need it. Um, But it's hard because nothing you can say or do will make the situation any better or easier. And so I am just getting through it too. Um, (laughs) So I am so sorry to start the podcast off on a little sad note, but I think it's important that we all keep um, our friends who are going through tough times in our thoughts and prayers, and especially those whose babies or children or whatever have just gained their heart angel wings because it's tough. And so um, please, please, please keep them in your thoughts. And um, But that being said, let's move on to some of the other stuff in the podcast. Um, first, we have a note from the sponsor, and then we're going to kind of dive into the podcast um, interview that we did with Jess. So thanks, guys. Okay, so before we dive into some more, I wanted to pause really quick and talk to you guys about a sponsor that we got for this podcast. Maglio by Design is on Etsy, and it's owned by Tina, and she has the cutest heart warrior, heart family, all the heart clothes. Um, And she actually does more than just clothes. She also does blankets and... Um, coffee mugs, stickers, coasters. There's so much that she has on her Etsy page here. And I am obsessed with it all. And I actually have a code for you guys. If you guys want to check out her Etsy page and order, um, in your order, you can add a coupon or a code. And if you put heart moms club, all one word into the code box, you'll get 10% off your order. And so if you're anything like me, February heart month is the best time to spread awareness and to dress your kids up in the cutest clothes. And really, if you check out Maglio by Design on Etsy, you will fall in love with so many pieces. So just remember that the code is Heart Mom Club, Heart Moms Club. Sorry, there's an S in moms, Heart Moms Club, all one word mashed together, you guys will get 10% off your order. And if you guys have any questions, please reach out to me or Tina and we can help you guys find some stuff. Hello, Jess. How are you? I'm good, Aubrey. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to learn about you guys. Thank you for having me. We, um, me and my friend Kaylin actually talked about doing this right before you jumped on it. And I'm really glad that you did because we don't know, we don't know what we're doing either and we can learn from you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I will say trying to start a podcast, it's a lot of like stuff behind the scenes that I had no idea, like getting it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I didn't think would be as complicated as it was and all the different avenues you have to go through. And I really need to look at how to get it on other platforms because a couple people have reached out. But I'm just like, holy cow, guys, I got to I gotta get into a groove of this first. And <laughs> I don't even understand the recording part of it. I'm like, I thought you had to have like basically a, a at-home studio to do a podcast. I don't know. I mean, I, watch, I listen to murder podcasts a lot. Of course, Bailey Sarian is my favorite. Um, yes. I listen to her a lot, but she has like an in-home studio and I was like, okay, how do you even start a podcast? Do you have like, 
I mean, does it look like DJ equipment in your office? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I went to Best Buy and I found like a podcast microphone and I was like, yeah, I think I need that just as an excuse to buy something, I guess, that day. And I have a MacBook Air that I use for like my photography stuff on the side. And I just like plugged it in and I just started like Googling everything. And here we are like three weeks later recording a podcast. (laughs) Hey, you're doing it. If we're making it work, but hey, Jess. Okay, so tell me about your Heart Warrior, all the things. Okay, so my Heart Warrior is almost 17 months old. His name is Lane Case Landry. I wanted to name him Case Lane Landry, and I tried to convince my husband that Lane was a very common name for boys and for girls, but he wouldn't listen to me, and I got to name our last baby. So anyway, we have a Lane Case Landry. Um, I had a very, very healthy, normal, like almost too healthy and normal pregnancy. We had zero concerns. I saw high risk my entire pregnancy because my, the pregnancy with our, our now three-year-old was super complicated for me. Um, I have a, I have a rare blood disorder where my body either doesn't clot appropriately or the clotting factor that's produced is called fibrinogen inside your body. Like mine, mine will use it up before it gets to the source of blood. So my pregnancies are not super fun, but with Lane, I had the easiest pregnancy. We always tell people we went to Mexico and I was seven and a half months pregnant. And my husband had to force me. He's like, you're not, I was trying to like jump off of stuff into the water. And he's like, you are seven and a half months pregnant and we are in Mexico. You are not jumping off of this boulder or this bridge into the water like our children are doing, okay? And I was like, oh okay, my gosh. fine. I, okay, <laughs> fine. I won't do it. It was just so easy. So I deliver. I went into labor at 36 weeks, um, which I typically have my babies a little bit early. So that was not too concerning or, or anything like that. We got to the hospital. Everything was fine. Um, I ended up not needing any kind of, normally I I require like a blood transfusion, you know, during a scheduled C-section. I didn't require any blood. So for me, everything was super smooth. And then Lane came out and he didn't have good color to him. He was kind of, he was breathing, but he was like bluish purplish. And he was very tachypnic, which at the time I had never even heard the word tachypnic. So I'm like, what does that even mean? So he did require some oxygen. Um, they did they did an NG tube pretty quickly because he was unable to eat and he was just breathing really fast. And um, I, it's all kind of blurry, you know, at this point, like I, you know, you remember, you remember certain parts of the story very, very clearly. And then other parts just seem like you, you almost black out probably, probably from a trauma response. I don't really know, but I know that he was taken from me pretty quickly and brought to the NICU at women's hospital of Texas. And, um, you know, because he needed the NG tube and everything, we were told that he had a heart murmur, but not to worry. It was not uncommon at all. And and it would be fine. So he stayed in the NICU for six days at women's hospital and we brought him home. We brought him home and he would not wake up. And when I say I'm talking, we had, my husband and I had to set alarms on our phone for every couple hours to wake him up, he didn't cry. He didn't move. It got to a point where like, I'm calling the pediatrician every few hours and I'm like, Hey, something is wrong. I don't know what it is. I've well, never especially had. Especially because you have a three-year-old, you kind of knew 
what to expect at the newborn stage yeah. and what to expect after labor and after I delivery remember, and all those things. I remember sitting up in bed one night and talking to my husband and I'm like, okay, I know I'm tired. Cause you know, you're new mom tired or you're newborn tired. That's mm-hmm. like, that's like a level of tired that we all understand. But I remember sitting up in bed one night and having Lane, like I was just staring at him and he woke up and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I just don't, I feel like I can't go to sleep. I feel like something is really, really wrong with him. I said, we just had a baby. Like, you know, we had Beckham not even two years ago. And I don't remember being scared to go to sleep. I said, something has to be wrong. Like, but I don't know what it is. So on the, we had him home for six days and we, during that time, we went to the pediatrician on three separate occasions. And on that third pediatrician appointment, whenever we got there, his body temperature was 94.5, which is hypothermic. And, um, they probably should have taken him by ambulance. Like, but I guess we just jumped in the car and drove him downtown and brought him to Texas children's where we started our heart warrior, you know, journey, whatever you want to call it. So that, that's where, that's where we started. Uh, we learned pretty quickly in the ER that, you know, the, the term coarctation of the aorta was brought up, which again, I had never heard that term either. Um, they brought him to Nikki four and told us that he would need surgery. And he had his first, uh, he had his first surgery, which was performed via thoracotomy. Um, so his, his incision was done like on his back, right underneath the scapula instead of an open heart. Um, the reason for that is because the narrowing in his aortic arch was towards the bottom of the arch. And so our surgeon felt like he could better access the narrowing by flipping lane over on his, like on his side and on his stomach and cut through the back and, and open that aortic arch that way. That is so interesting. Yeah. So that was our, that was our first one. We have now had one. Um, that was our first heart surgery. Our second two heart surgeries were both open heart because he also has congenital mitral valve stenosis, which I didn't know is super rare, even in the heart world. Like congenital mitral valve stenosis is not common. So that has definitely been our biggest hurdle is the mitral valve. So you guys have had three heart surgeries then? We've had three heart surgeries. We've had two surgeries for hydrocephalus, which is excess fluid on the brain and Mm. one G tube. So yeah, yeah. Three heart, two head, one G tube. And how are you guys right now? Is everybody stable? Are we, are we doing good right now or? Yeah, he's, he's actually, his last open heart surgery was December 29th and we had, we switched from Texas children's to Herman, which we can get into that in a little bit. So I definitely want to talk about that. Um, he's been home now for, I believe 32 days and the longest in his 17 months of life, the longest he's ever been home is five weeks consecutively. So we're actually nearing our threshold. You know what I mean? Like he's about to beat his five week (laughs) record home. And right now he's a little sick right now. Um, um, like we're kind of teetering the ER decision. Like even as of right now, like today, I talked with cardiology a couple days ago and they were like, Hey, we suspect that he's aspirating. He's having these really wet coughs and we know he can't protect his airway when things come up. So, um, Mm -hmm. we're in close contact with cardiology even right now. And they said, if we have any more aspiration, 
um, episodes to just call them and bring him to the ER so we can, you know, check him out and do more thorough investigating. But as of today, we're home and we're really hoping that we can make it past that five week mark. But of course, if it becomes dangerous for him to be home, that yeah. record's not important. I would bring him to the ER. But for right now, we're home. Yeah. Do you guys live relatively close to your hospitals that you've been we do. partnering with? We're we're about 45 miles east of downtown Houston. So so we're able to, you know, jump in the car and, you know, drive. it's about an hour drive, but yeah, you know, but, um, but yeah, we're, we're close enough to drive in and we make that, I make that drive all the time. I swear my car could do it. <laughs> like sometimes I just get in the car and then like, you know, you zone out. And then you get to where you're going and I'm like, I don't even remember driving here. Was it safe? Did I watch the road? Like, I don't even know. I feel like my car just knows exactly where to drive. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So what is your oldest name? My oldest name is Halen, H-A-Y-L-E-N. And my... So I guess... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, we have... um, I guess he's three and a half now, but he's two years older than Theo. And I feel like that's been one of the toughest things navigating in our world is dealing with his older sibling while dealing with a medically complex child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. Do you have a lot of support there to help you with that? So we have four. We have four kids and I always say four kids. One of them is my bonus baby, but he's my kid too. My oldest is nine, Halen, and then my my bonus baby is Reed, and he's also nine. Halen and Reed are only two weeks apart, so people always say, like, oh, you have two nine-year-olds. Do you have twins? And say, no, they're not twins, but they might as well be because they're, they're, yep. they're the same age. And we have Reed. We have a great relationship with my, with my husband's ex-wife and her family. They've been supportive along this journey. Um, my parents actually live like three miles down the road. My in-laws live about five miles down the road. My sister-in-law is, you know, about five miles down the road too. So we do have, we do have people who are always like willing to help. The problem is, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody works. So availability is always a big thing. And two, nobody is comfortable like helping with Lane. So it's easier to get help with the other people you know, with the big kids who are not medically complex. So I can, you know, go to doctor appointments or things like that, but getting help with him and getting, you know, you even, sometimes you want to break from your heart warrior and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't get that though. You know, I mean, I don't, Mm -hmm. maybe there's other moms out there who do get a break from their heart warrior sometimes, but I would definitely be interested in hearing about that because it's not as easy as what it sounds. You know, people can say, Oh, you know, I'll watch him and, you know, you and your husband go out to dinner, but there's always like a lingering issue. And at the end of the day, like people really aren't that comfortable because they don't know him the way that we do. Definitely. And especially your little guys on a G tube. I mean, that's just a constant thing. And if you're worried about aspiration or anything like that, that's definitely something that you want to be the one to manage. You, I mean, and yes. it's hard to give up that kind of control with your little one, especially when, of course, we know them the best. And even just a couple hours is, I mean, oh, it's yeah. hard to get away. <laughs> I, yeah, I it's would. Hard. It's crazy. Like there, there have been times when he's been, he's been healthier at home, you know, and it's not that he's like, super unhealthy right now. But, you know, as a medical mom, you, you can tell 
when there's an underlying issue that hasn't been addressed. It, it's almost like you just know your kids so well. It's like a sixth sense. It's almost, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it feels supernatural sometimes. Like you can just watch them. You can tell in their face. So like Lane has something going on right now that we have not addressed. I don't know what it is. So like if somebody came to me right now, I'm like, Hey, let me watch Lane for, you know, three hours. So you and your husband can go out tonight. I would tell them no, because right now he's not in a place where he needs to be with anybody other than me and my husband. Like we need to be here to watch him very closely. Definitely. And that's, I mean, it kind of, in my world, it's kind of pushed some of our family and friends a little bit farther away from us because of the fact that I want to be the one to watch my child. And that's crazy to say, but like they offer and I decline and then they get a little frustrated because they know I need a break or they know this and that. And it's, it's just, unless you are a heart mom or a medically complex mom, whatever you want to call it, it, you can't understand that need to be with your child in those situations. Right. You know, and it's funny you bring that up that people have gotten, you know, people seem more distant. It's like the more they want to help you, you really do feel isolated in this world. And that's why, for me, the social media support and the different, the different groups and connecting with other moms that understand what this journey is like has, has been a lifesaver for me because even my closest friends and their intentions are 100% pure. They don't get it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to understand how from the moment you wake up, until the moment you go to sleep and even in your dream, I mean, you, if you get up to go pee in the middle of the night, you're thinking about that baby. You're checking yep. to, you're checking their breathing. You're checking to make sure that they have it. You know, they're, they're not silently, you know, choking or anything. Like we, we've gone through periods with Lane where, um, his vocal cord was paralyzed, temporarily paralyzed during his first open heart surgery. So when we brought him home from the hospital after, about six weeks inpatient, he was mute, 100% mute. So when he cried, his face would cry and he would have tears flowing down his face, but there was no sound. So like, that's just one example of like a really, really, really hard time where you seriously cannot take your eyes off of them because he could be choking and gagging, but there's no sound because his phrenic nerve was paralyzed. Thank goodness that nerve reconnected and he does have sound now, but it's still, it's always something. Well, and like, even just, I don't know how often you take Lane out and about with you. I'm sure it's minimal, but whenever we go to like the grocery stores or anything like that with little Theo, I am constantly on like hyper alert of everything. And that's not just like a normal mom thing, I think. It's more right. so like, okay, if Theo were to puke and aspirate or do whatever right now, how how do I get to the nearest hospital? Or what, you know, all these germs. I know that's like, that's more of a typical mom thing. But like with our very complex children, it's it's just so much more as far as disinfecting and sanitizing. And yes. is there going to be a whole lot of people around him and – it's it's scary, especially when we deal with these things. I mean, it's hard. Yes. <laughs> and I'm looking not. at like our Facebook pages and our groups that we're in, they're the people who understand us. And as much as our 
in my in my world, as much as like my fiance, we've been together for five years now, as much as he understands what I'm going through, I mean, it's still different. He's he's still going to work. He and I yes, have now yes. taken the role of a stay-at-home mom and I am with Theo twenty-four-seven. There are probably less than three hours a week that I am ever away from him more than five feet. And yep, that's same. and that's just the way it is. And it's hard for our partners to even understand all of the different things that we go through because we're the ones scheduling doctor appointments. We're the ones that are making the phone calls in a lot of these situations. I'm very happy to hear stories of partners that are very helpful. And I'm not saying mine's not, but there are just a lot of things that we do that they don't completely understand. And you hit the nail on the head when you said he still gets up and goes to work. That's one thing that like, I've really had to talk to my husband about because like, even though his life has changed, all of our lives have changed. I mean, we, Mm -hmm. everything was like going according to plan and we were having our, our last baby and our family was complete. And then boom, he comes out and our, all of our lives, mine, his, our families, all of the siblings, like everybody's life changed overnight. But I think that, you know, probably what husbands or the person who gets to continue normalcy, they get to maintain a little bit of their normalcy. Like he still goes to work. If anything, he goes to work more now because I'm staying home and not working right now. I I mean, how, how can I work right now? It is, it's impossible to do. And he go, he goes to work. So he gets a break from the house and from Lane. He gets to have other adult conversation and talk about just normal everyday things. So like, there's still a, there's still a piece of normalcy in his life and in, and in other people's lives too, but not in mine. Like they're every bit of normal that I knew I, I don't have it anymore. And I probably never will. Lane also has a very, um, a very rare genetic syndrome and we don't know what that means long-term and only time is going to tell. We're going to do all of the intensive therapies that we can possibly do to give him the best possible, um, you know, chance to have like, you know, a normal childhood, but we are years away from walking and we know that, you know, but it, but it's a hard pill to swallow. I really don't want him to be in a wheelchair. I don't, but I don't, I don't have a choice, you know? Yeah. And that, like you said, like you can do all the therapies, you can do everything right as a mom and kind of like with our pregnancy, so many things have to go perfect for a child to come out perfect without any kind of heart or anything. And we can do everything right and yet still be put in these situations where we have to do extra now to help catch up or to help try to regain what is not there. And as much as we can do that, there comes to be a point where we might not get to where we want to be. And that's a hard, that's hard to understand. And that's hard for other people to look at us. Um, Right now, Theo, he gets, he's getting three days of therapy with two hours each day. And um, some of my family and friends are like, why are you doing so much therapy? And I'm, Are you kidding why me? would I not? I mean, why, would, why would I not? Why would you not do? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm literally stalking people's pages that like have, I'm, of course I'm on a page with, with Lane's genetic disorder. It's called Phylon McDermott syndrome. And it's not a huge community. Um, there is another mom that I've connected with. There's only two kids in, in our school district out here who've ever had this genetic syndrome, like ever. So it's, and the other girl who has it out here is 18 years old. 
So it's a huge gap. Mm -hmm. It's been 18 years since our school district has seen a kid with this genetic syndrome. So mentally, I'm already thinking like, okay, what hurdles am I going to have to go through? Because they're going to treat Lane like other genetic syndromes and his is different. This is not the same. And I'm not taking anything away from any of these other syndromes. I'm just saying that his is different and I have to be mentally prepared to advocate for him so that he gets the right sort of therapies when he is able to go into school, which will be early because of, you know, because of the developmental delay. I think he'll be able to start when he's three. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a big lonely world. And then like having to learn about everything with, without being able to prepare is, is, has been really hard too. Well, and I just, I'm so impressed with your Facebook page that you keep updating everybody with everything that's going on in Lane's world and your world. And you are so great about posting for everyone to see. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's tough to do, especially when you're in the middle of things and it's hard to talk about your child that's going through stuff to other people. And I've had a little bit of backlash saying like, it's not your story to tell. Why are you posting all that Theo stuff? What if when he's 15, he doesn't want all of his medical terms out in the world. Really? I have to kind of take a step back and I look, I'm like, okay, well, yes, it's it's his life. Sure. Whatever. But I'm going through this as well. And I want people to know about my son. I want people to pray for him. I want people to celebrate the wins that he has and all of those different things. And by hiding, which he decides now he wants to talk to us, um, (laughs) and hiding all of the stuff that he's going through isn't going to change the reality of our world. And so I have no problem posting on Facebook or TikTok or whatever it might be about our life. And I <laughs> I just cannot believe some of the comments I got last week of why are you sharing his story? It's not your story to tell. What I what just, platform, oh my gosh, that infuriated me. Get, what platform did you get well, those comments on? I feel that like was on TikTok, TikTok is, the, is the meanest yeah. platform for sure. Yep. People are yep. so people are ugly on TikTok. I posted a video of of Beckham and Lane one day when they were both having this atrocious meltdown. And when I say atrocious meltdown, I'm talking like their worlds were both ending. The house was a disaster. You know, Lane's like hooked up. I think he was hooked up to the feeding pump. So he's like laying in the living room floor. There's toys everywhere. Beckham's screaming. He's screaming. He, you can, it was just like a moment of chaos, but I wanted to share that moment because I feel like, I feel like it's really important to share the ugly parts of this journey too, because if we just like wrap everything up in a pretty little bow, then we're not doing anybody any favors. You know, people need to real talk. Like this is hard. It is not fun. So when you see me at HEB and I literally look like I haven't slept in 17 months, it's because I haven't. If I look like, (laughs) if I look like I've gained 10 pounds because I've been eating Reese's sticks to and from the hospital, it's because I have been. And, and and so it's just like, it's a really, really difficult journey. So I posted that on TikTok, girl, you should have seen some of the comments, like one person I, you know, I didn't read through them. Cause like, I'm real bad to like post. And sometimes I'll like follow up immediately, but sometimes it might be two days before I go back and look at it. And so I just like kind of forgot about it. And then 
I went back to TikTok and the, my account had like, you know, hundreds of all these notifications. And I'm like, what is going on? And people were like slamming me. Like one person was saying, oh my gosh, these babies look sick and dehydrated. And I commented back. I'm like, well, actually the one is sick. So, but dehydrated, what are you even, what, what are you talking about? And other people were like, oh God, no, I would never, I would never let my babies cry like this. Like babies cry. Healthy babies cry, unhealthy yeah. babies cry, all babies cry. Actually, if babies don't cry, that's a sign of abuse because they have been conditioned to not cry to get what they want. They're supposed to cry. So anyway, I But if you look at what... those comments from those people that have commented on different things, I am sure none of them are a mom to a heart baby. I oh, am no, sure they are not because they don't understand no. this part it, of our world. And it's just, it's sad that people pass that kind of judgment, but like, I just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, No, me too. Like at first, you know, at first, because I don't like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm a people pleaser because I really don't think I am that, but I would be lying if I told you I wanted people to think bad about me. Of course I don't want that. Yeah. Nobody, nobody yeah. wants that. That's human nature. <laughs> so like initially I'm like, oh my gosh, like, am I a terrible mother? Like what? And then I'm like, okay, reel it back in, reel it back in. I'm a badass mom. And the, I don't mm-hmm. know these people. They do not know my story. This is so dumb. You know, and, and then like, then you, then you look at it from, from that perspective and you're like, wow, this is like, do people not have anything better to do than to comment on a total stranger's TikTok (laughs) account that your baby looks sick and dehydrated? How would you stop? Just stop. Yep. Oh, and I, I look at some of the other heart moms that post different things and I look through some of their comments and I just like... I can't believe the different things that we have to go through. And then, I mean, sharing stuff on social media is kind of like my outlet. I want to just word vomit sometimes. And I talk to my fiance enough that he's like, okay, I'm here too. I understand. And so then I turn to my friends and they're like, yeah, I get it. But it's like, I want other people who understand what we're going through to hear it and to know that they're not alone through this journey. And right. that's one of, that's like the point of this whole podcast is like you said earlier, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but no, it's, it's not, not it, always it really, really very is. dark either. It's right. not always dark. And so by us coming together and talking about our experiences and going through this world together, even though we're on different parts of the United States, we're still in it together. And having support from other moms is just so, it's my favorite thing. I just love being able to, you know, become friends with you guys and see your babies grow up and be there for you at the next open heart surgery or whatever might be coming in the future. And I think it's just so important to have people to rely on in the community as well. I do too. You know, and it's funny because like, you know, we've all, we've, most of anybody listening has been on social media before, probably multiple platforms of social media. So we're all, we're all accustomed to seeing something like a GoFundMe or sharing, somebody sharing a page of a sick baby. And, you know, before we went through this heart journey, of course, if I saw any of those things, I would probably read about them and like my heart would ache. But now that I'm in this storm, when I see a baby 
heading into surgery or fresh out of surgery, it takes me back to how I felt watching my kid get wheeled away for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's so different. It just hits you in the gut. When you look at that, when you look at that picture and to, to somebody who's not been through this journey, sure, that's sad. Nobody wants to see a baby go through surgery, but until you, they don't understand until you've been in that parent waiting area for 12 hours, just, just waiting for every, you know, hourly update, just praying to God that your kid survives it just hits you different. And that's why, mm. that's why this heart mom community is so, so, so important because as much as people from the outside want to understand it, it's, it's impossible. You know I mean? I, you can't, you can't yeah. understand something that you've never been through and we have to lean on each other or we're literally going to go insane. Jess, I mm. will never forget when, um, uh, our three-year-old now, um, had ear tubes for the first time. He was just over a year and we went to the surgery center, um, which really was only like 30 miles away from our house at the time. And I remember, you know, checking in, doing all the things for the pre-op, quote unquote, for his ear tube surgery, just placing I already tubes. know exactly where this is going, but keep and, going. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, you know, they took him, they took him back, whatever. And I was sitting in the waiting room and I was crying and I was oh, like, yeah. this is oh, so yeah. sad. I can't, you know. And like eight minutes went by, I think. And then I got a text saying he was out of surgery. And I was like, oh, cool. And then another like 10 minutes went by and, you know, the doc came out and was like, yeah, everything went good. Okay. You'll be back there in another 10 minutes to console him when he wakes up. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And I look back now and of course it's like, I'm not trying to belittle anybody else's experience, but after going through everything else that we went through with Theo, it's like, (laughs) it's just kind of comical now. I just, I, I love it. (laughs) We, we have, we have that. The reason why I knew you were, I knew where you were going when you said tubes is because we, so Beckham, our three-year-old, she had pyloric stenosis, which I'd never heard that term either. And when, when we found out, like whenever we had her, she just kept vomiting. And I'm talking like exorcist vomiting. Like it was like, I would be holding her in bed and it would be like a rainbow that would go all the way past the foot of the bed when she was like days old. It was a crazy, crazy projectile vomiting. So I brought her, you know, of course I brought her the pediatrician multiple times and be like, Oh, she just has reflux or this or that. And I'm like, no, like this is different. So I was showing them like pictures and I'm like, look at the trajectory of this vomit. Like this is like a six pound baby. Okay. There's no way like something is going on. So finally, you know, on our second or third pediatrician appointment, somebody was like, you know, I think we need to do an ultrasound to see if she has pyloric stenosis. And I'm like, well, what, what the hell does that mean? And it's basically a a little teeny tiny muscle between your stomach and small intestine that in a, in a anatomically normal baby, it would be like, kind of like a washer, like flat, flat round and with like a hole in the middle. And that's where when they, when they eat, everything passes through that hole. And a baby that has pyloric stenosis, instead of being like a flat washer, that, that muscle between the stomach and small intestine is kind of blown up like a donut and that hole is small. So whenever they eat, it like hits off that swollen muscle and comes right out of their mouth. And it's very, very forceful. So anyways, Beckham had that. 
I will never forget that ultrasound. I was sobbing even in the ultrasound because like they found it immediately and they're like, oh yeah, it's polar stenosis. And I'm like, what do you have to do? Like, do we have to do surgery? And they're like, yes, we have to do surgery. It's like an, it's like one hour surgery. It's very, very simple. Like they're, the complication risk is so minimal. Like this surgery is like 99.999% effective generally with like no follow-up, no additional surgeries or anything. Girl, I sobbed. Like I am talking, sobbing, sobbing. Like you would have thought like my entire world crumbled. I could not imagine my baby. And I think she was like, I think she was like three weeks old at the time. So she goes into surgery and I remember being in pre-op and I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because of what we've been through now. This is so comical. And again, like you said, I'm not trying to minimize. I don't want to minimize. Like if somebody listening has a baby who has pyloric stenosis, like it is something that has to be fixed, but compared to three heart surgeries and two shot, like it's just comical at this point in my life. And I remember yeah. being in pre-op and signing, you know, you have to sign the anesthesia form. And of course, one of the risks is death because anytime you get put under anesthesia, yeah. that's the same if you have a C-section or if you have anything. And I remember like seeing that and like, I told my husband, I'm just sobbing, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe like there's a chance she could die. There's like a point, point <laughs> zero, 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 one. Yeah. We're more likely to die in a car accident on the way to and from the hospital than we are for her anything to happen in that operating room. Right. But anyway, it was so traumatic. We were in the hospital for one day and came home and literally have never had a single issue with her again. And like, that's what makes that funny because I just remember being so devastated because my perspective was so different now. Like with this heart warrior journey, I think that, I think that your perspective is really everything. And I like to write, um, it's on my short list to write a children's book. And I also want to write an autobiography, but we're years away from that. But a children's book I've actually already written. I'm just waiting for the illustrator to come through. Um, but like your perspective completely changes and things that like, that used to be a big deal, you look at and you're like, okay, these things are not a big deal anymore. Like everybody being alive and healthy is really really the ultimate goal. And, and it's, it, it kind of like as complicated as everything gets, it also gets a lot more simple because you can let little stuff go now. Yes. All of the appointments that we go to for everything, if we had a healthy child, our life would be completely different. And all of those little things just don't matter in the grand scheme of things. I'm like, okay, yeah, we have to go in for a weight check today. And that requires us to drive 45 miles to our pediatrician and 45 miles back or whatever it might be. But that's what you do. And that, you know, it's, it is what it is. And we're just, we're going through this world and we're learning and we're growing and connecting and all the different things. And that's all you can do at this point, especially when the future, I mean, we have plans for growing our family. And then I, you know, it's kind of scary to think about after having a heart warrior, what, world is going to look like in three more years, in five years, in right. however many years. And that's like, you just have to take it day by day with everything. And the small things in the grand scheme of everything really don't matter. But every really day is don't. such a gift because we are still with our heart warriors in our situations. And I know kind of like the you know storm clouds of being a heart mom, 
not everyone is as fortunate as we are right now. And right, that's definitely something that I hope to unpack with some moms later on, just dealing with all of a lot of those big storm clouds in this world. And so it's hard to, it's hard. It's just hard journey that we are all in, but we're in it together. It, it is. It doesn't seem real. And I, I think that that's something that pops into my head every day, at, probably at least a couple times a day. And the other, the other heart moms that I've connected with, um, they say the same thing. Like you, you don't feel, this doesn't feel real. It almost feels like you're living this movie. And, you know, whenever your baby comes out of surgery, I don't know why, like for me going in and coming out of surgery feels like, like, it just feels like you're watching something because you, they're just so helpless and they're so lifeless at that point going into surgery. They're obviously sick enough to need this life-saving miracle to happen in, in the operating room and pray to God that there's no, no complications or no codes or anything. And then like those first 72 hours out of the operating room is like, okay, now we just wait and you're completely helpless. You cannot do like Lane has coded a couple of times for cardiac arrest. And I have never cried like that in my entire life. The way that, I mean, I just fell to the floor because you can't, you can't do anything. And as a mom, your instinct is to help you have, but, but in that, in that situation, you can't, you literally have to just like step away because you're in the way now you have to move and watch it all unfold and just, and However just watch, it's gonna happen. just watch and you have no control. And it's just, it's really, really, it's really heavy. So whenever you have that kind of perspective and we, when you've seen your child almost die, you know, so for some of us, numerous times, like, like with Lane, I've seen him almost die at least a handful of times that Mm -hmm. makes, that makes other things in life so much more valuable and like so important. You know, you can go to the park and just enjoy the hell out of feeding ducks because like, thank God we get to go to the park and feed ducks because we're all alive. It really, it should, it changes your entire perspective. Jess, there's been so many times that I've just done normal things with Theo and Donnie, and I cry on the way coming home from it because I (laughs) never thought we'd be able to do this. Like after everything we've been through, and of course, we're not out of the woods, and most heart families, it's ongoing for years and years of just different, you know, question marks in our life. But like, like you said, going to the park. I never thought I'd be able to put Theo and go down a slide and put him in the swing and things like that. And, you know, I deal with a lot of like mental health struggles after all of the hospital stays and everything like that. But I, and I cry very, very easy, <laughs> but oh, I, do I will say it's like just little things like that, that you just don't take for granted because right. it's our heart warriors and who knows what the future holds, but like every day that we're with them and especially, I mean, I will never take for granted the time that we're outside the walls of a hospital because there's a lot of heart babies that don't get to see the outside of the hospital and that breaks my heart. And I'm so thankful that, you know, we're in the position we are and it's just crazy. Me too. Just to be home, like, you know, the people who are on the transplant list right now, I, of course, yeah. I follow those babies and 
it's like there's been there's been so many losses in the heart community lately and it feels like I know there's losses every day and they're all sad but I don't know maybe because I'm more involved in it now but it feels like some of these losses like could have been prevented like they were just random random yeah. things like poor baby Christopher you know um they call it you know his nickname is Deuce you know his mom was at Texas Children's and I have just sobbed over that story baby Everly I have oh my cried gosh, yeah. over that one too. And, um, baby AJ there, there's just been, um, baby Andre, like there's been so, so many recently that were just really, really, really tragic. And I, I don't know. I don't know how the families go on. I really don't like, I, I just, yeah. I just can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine. Well, and that's like one of the hardest parts about being in the mom community is that we get attached to our friends as babies. We, I've never, you know, obviously I've never met you guys, but I look at Lane and I just like, I'm so proud of him for everything that he's yes, gone through. Yes, the same with you too. It's like, you know, we're going to be, you know, struggling with hospital stays, I'm sure in the future and whatnot. And every time I see one of my friends as babies get admitted, my heart aches for them. And then when I see, you know, a cath lab didn't go as well as it was planned, my heart just aches. And, you know, it's hard to be in the heart mom community and it's hard to make these connections, but it's worth it though. I mean, it's, that's all I can oh, say it's is to- it's all it's totally worth, worth it. it. We're, we're each other's saving grace. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I posted in, in the heart moms group and I said something, something about what is like a phrase or things that people have told you that are meant to be supportive, but they're actually hurtful. Do you remember that post? (laughs) I do. And the comments blew up and I, I posted that I'm doing something behind the scenes with that information that I have not finished yet, but I promise I'm going to. Um, I was curious. And the reason why I asked that question to the heart moms is because I had a feeling that many of us felt the same way. Like sometimes I just get triggered. And the the one that comes to mind is when people, when people say, don't worry, at least Lane will never remember it. I want to call something because guess what? I will remember it. And his journey's not over. Sure. We're home right now. But I can tell you right now, we are not, we're not a hundred percent repaired. We're never going to be like, we're, we're going to struggle to hang on to his original mitral valve. I really think that our last open heart surgery bought time. I don't think it's going to hold him over long-term yeah. just based on what we yep. can already see on echoes and whatnot. But, um, when people say stuff like that, like, you know, Ugh. Oh, well, don't worry. Lane is not going to remember this. Like that is so hurtful. And I know they don't mean it. I know they don't mean it like that. They, people just say stuff and I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of saying offensive things when I haven't been in that situation before. And I think I'm being helpful, but really I'm minimizing their pain and their experience by commenting something. So sometimes it's just better. Like if you don't know what to say, it's better to just say, I don't have words. I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, like, my, the one that triggers me is like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yeah, yeah. That one just triggers me. Or anything about transplant. Why can't he just get a heart transplant? 
Oh, we I get just, that all the time. And you know what? Because Lane has yeah. a genetic syndrome and he doesn't qualify for one, which by the way, yeah. isn't that, isn't that terrible that like, oh, because, that? you know, because Lane's not, yeah. yeah, because Lane isn't going to be, you know, mentally as, I don't even know the word. I don't know. I'm still like, he, well, he doesn't need a struggle right power. now. Yeah. And they but, just don't think that they qualify. Like, if he, <laughs> yeah. If he got to the point where he needed a transplant or like if there was no other option to fix his heart and the only thing that would work would be transplant, he would die because he doesn't qualify for a transplant because of his genetic syndrome. I think that is crazy. Um, well, and but, even for, you know, babies that don't have a genetic syndrome, oh yeah, they just grow on trees. We could just go pop a heart out real quick and pull it off the tree right? and make yeah, it work. Sure. It, part it, of the yeah, not easy. You know, organ isn't there like isn't there like an underground there's like an underground organ trade sure we're just going to go down to the local flea market and pick up a heart and just pop it in real quick because it's definitely that simple yeah Yeah, no people 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 don't understand but until they've been in our situation all we can do is just advocate and explain to them like kind of why that's not okay to say and when it's your friends that are saying it to you, you don't want to be the one to call them out. You don't want to be the one to, yeah. I, at least in my I, position, I have a hard time calling my friends out. Like, yeah, it's okay. Just find something else to say. <laughs> but I've gotten pretty good. I've gotten pretty good. I had this trick where if I'm in a mood where I can't, I can't emotionally handle something that's going to trigger me. Um, like, like, let's say I'm at HEB. I, that's pretty much the only place I go. So I say that a lot, you know, like, where, where if I'm at HEB? <laughs> anyway, if I'm at HEB and I'm going to run into like 50 people, I know that cause that's what always happens. And, you know, I've probably yeah. not slept in 17 months and I'm probably in my pajamas and my hair's probably not brushed. And I honestly don't care. And when people yeah. say, how are you? Do you know what my response is? I go, I'm bad. How are you? And <laughs> 10 times out of 10, they do not come back with anything because if you say, oh, I'm good. How are you? Then they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you're so strong. You're so this, you're so that. And like, maybe I don't want to hear that that day. And I, and I'm not in a position to advocate for myself. So if I know, and I know my mental threshold pretty well. So if I know that I can't handle this idle chit chat and like potentially going off on somebody in, in the, you know, produce department at HEB. Then when they say, how are you? I say, oh my gosh, I'm so bad. How are you? And (laughs) let me tell you, it works. Like, because what, they don't know what to say. And now you've shifted the the spotlight onto them. And it's, it's like a nice way and kind of a funny, sarcastic way of being like, I really can't get that deep right now. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, I guess when I was working, I used to work at the school. And so I used to see a lot of adults that would always ask about Theo and whatnot. And they'd just be like, how are you? And I always just would say, I'm hanging in there. How are you? Like, (laughs) I don't like, what do you want me to say? Like, I've, I got three text messages from daycare saying he vomited all over himself and I'm stressed because now I have to call the doctors as you know, during my lunch break and figure all this stuff out. And I'm hanging in there. What do you want? That's why I say I'm bad because I don't think that there's any shame. And if you're not doing well, then we shouldn't say, oh yeah, I'm great. How are you? Because I mean, that's not true. And I like to, I like to write these little mini stories about my feelings and, you know, word vomit, everything on Lane's page, because I think that, you know, he doesn't have a voice right now. So obviously I'm his voice, but, but also, also it's good to talk about me, like to get 
to get those feelings out because you always get an outpouring of support from other heart moms and then just other people who've been through really difficult times and maybe they needed to hear that. I say that a lot on Lane's page, like, Hey, there could be, there could be one person who needs to hear this today. So I'm going to say it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's all you can do. (laughs) It really literally is all you can do. We're just winging it. I'm literally every day when I wake up, I'm just winging most of the day. So yeah. Okay. So we do need to wrap up pretty quick, but I have a couple other questions I want to ask. Um, so like thinking back to when you became a heart mom, what is one thing you wish you could tell yourself? What would you tell yourself back then? Um, I, off the top of my head, I would tell myself to educate. I would tell myself to study the human body and learn, which, which I, I eventually did, but it took it. Like if I look back to Lane's first heart surgery, I had no idea what they were doing to his little body. If you don't understand what's going on with, with your, with your child's, um, whatever defect, whatever they're operating on, you don't know the right questions to ask. So you literally take everybody's word at face value. And we have to remember that doctors and surgeons are human too. And they're treating tons of other patients. And at the end of the day, we know our kid best. So if I could go back, I would have researched, you know, our first surgery was coarctation of the aorta. I would have learned everything about the human heart anatomically so that I could ask the right questions and feel more comfortable about his recovery and progression because that surgery was our worst one so far. And I didn't know what to ask. I really didn't. I was just blind and scared. And it would be like, mom, do you have any questions? Because they always say that, but if you don't know what to ask, you don't know what to ask. So I would say educate. Definitely. Well, and I think that that's like, that's very, that's a really good point because when you join the world, you are thrown all of these terms, all of the things. And before I became a heart mom, I had no idea how the heart worked. I mean, it beats, you pump blood. That's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's great. Um, and you know, after you learn about all the chambers, the valves, the arteries, everything that goes on with it, and it takes a little bit of time to learn. And especially if you're having surgery very quickly, you might like in your case, you might not understand everything fully at that point. So that's a really good, really good note is just to learn. There, there's a guy on YouTube. (laughs) There's a guy on YouTube. He's a, he's a British professor and, um, his name is Dr. Campbell. And so if you go to YouTube and you type in Dr. Campbell heart anatomy, um, though his, which he has a ton of different videos, his videos have been what have educated me because he literally breaks down the human heart, the lungs and the functionality, how the blood flows, every single valve. He breaks it down in a way that I, I promise a 10 year old could understand it. So after Lane's first surgery, when I realized like, or maybe at some point during that stay when I realized like, okay, this is real. I, to fight for him, I have to understand what's going on. I started watching Dr. Campbell's videos and I sat with a notebook in the hospital and I would literally watch the video and pause it. And he draws pictures on a whiteboard. I would do that on my notebook. And I did that until I could literally give his 20 minute presentation on the human heart anatomy and function by myself without referencing his video because if I can do yeah. that, 
Then whenever I'm talking to Lane's cardiology team, which cardiology is, we have a lot of other specialists, but cardiology is the main one for him. If they're saying things and I, I'm a visual person. So like whenever we're talking about, you know, this mitral valve stenosis and how that's affecting, how that's ultimately putting blood back into his lungs. If I know what they're saying, I can visualize it in my head and I know what questions to ask. And it just, it makes me a better advocate. Definitely. And kind of going off of that, um, where can people connect with you? What is the best method and what, what can people do? Definitely Facebook. That is where I have a TikTok. It's called, um, I don't even know my TikTok handle. I think it's TX Jess the Mess because it was ultimately, it was going to be about me. And then of course it's not, it's about Lane and my kids. Um, but the best place to connect with me is Warriors for Lane on Facebook. That is where I post the most frequent updates about, you know, either me or him or our family everything that's going on. I'm very active on that page. Um, sometimes I do fun little raffles because whenever I was working, um, I do, I don't know, I do a bunch of home decor stuff, um, and which I'm not currently doing, but eventually I'm going to get back to. And so I do raffles and help, you know, raise money for, um, our endless medical expenses and stuff like that. But also I just break it down and I'm pretty real and raw on his page with him and with me. And I try to keep things where like, even people who aren't a part of the heart community can read my post and walk through our journey with me. Even if you don't know anything about the medical world, you know, make it very, it's very, it's fun. You know, it's fun to read. It's light, but also it's heavy in a way. I don't know. I just try to be very, very raw on his page. Well, it's all the things. <laughs> That's all it's I can all, it say. It is all of the things. It's all the things. <laughs> but I do see that. Do you make earrings too? I saw some super cute earrings on there, I think, a little bit ago. I Yes, I do make earrings. I have, I have an industrial CO2 laser. And so I do, um, whenever I am working, I do jewelry. But I do a lot of like business signs. Like, you know, like the, the acrylic business signs, like pretty much anywhere you go now. That's what I generally yeah. do whenever, whenever he's healthy and I'm able to work. But I also do make like super cute, fun jewelry and stuff too. So I post some of that on his page as well, which is Warriors for Lane. Um, when I do go back to work, my business page is Bellevue Modern Vintage. Um, but I'm not actively working right now. It's going to be a couple of weeks before I get back to that. Definitely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for stopping by today and of course, thank you for having me. For a little me. I really bit. appreciate it. Hey, and we have so much like we have a lot of other things that we need to unpack, especially like with you transitioning care from one hospital to another and especially oh, yeah. more that's so a, that's dealing with right? <laughs> and then dealing with your older um kiddos while having your heart warrior and all the things. So Hey, if you're down, I would love to have you back on the podcast another time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Interview some more people. You definitely need to get Kaylin Blake on here. I yes. would say you need to get Jen Sanchez too, because her son, Damien, literally just went into his fourth open heart surgery like two days ago. And it was a total surprise. Like he was home and doing fine. And he, I don't know, Kaylin and Jen definitely talked to them. Um, definitely you'll have me, have me back again. It was super fun to talk to you, Aubrey. I really enjoyed this yes. chat and I hope that, I hope that other moms will be able to relate to the things that we talked about. 
Definitely. Well, I'm going to let you go and I will chat with you soon. Okay. That sounds good. Talk to you later. I hope you guys loved that interview with Jess. I thought it was really, really interesting to hear about all the different things that she's going through down in Texas with little Lane. Um, and I know since we've recorded the interview, she's had a little bit of a roller ca- ro- roller coaster too. Um, I know that they've had a couple emergency room and I know that they actually had a CT scan yesterday on Monday the 20th as well. And so I'm anxious to hear the results from her, but I do want to let you guys know if you want to follow her or her baby's page, Warriors for Lane is on Facebook and it is, it's awesome. I love the way that she documents everything. I think it's really, really easy to follow and it's fun getting to see all the different things that they do. That's something I wish I was better at documenting on um, We Heart Baby Theo's page because even looking back one year ago, it's cool to see all the different like steps that we've taken and not literal steps, but <laughs> you know what I mean, all the different things we've done. And so I, I'm i inspired by Jess and her page to get better on that um, in our life. And so I think that is awesome. But before I let you guys go today, I do have an idea that's been kind of building in my mind. And I just kind of want to share it um, to get it out there and see what our thoughts are. So earlier this week, last week, I guess, when I was talking to Becky, baby Everly's mom, she's really um, given me a lot of ideas. And so baby Everly lived her whole life in the hospital, which is crazy to think about. Um, But that's the reality of some of these families. And I am fortunate enough to have been able to take Theo home and we've spent way more time at home than we have in the hospital, but I still feel drawn to helping families in the hospital more. And one of my side hustles or hobbies or small businesses is photography. And I've always thought about doing newborns and I've never jumped into it. That's on my 2023 goal list. But I also think, um, what are, like, would parents want professional pictures in the hospital rooms with their babies? Whether that's in the NICU, in the CCU cardiac care unit, or another floor of a children's hospital, would that be something if I were to somehow coordinate this where, you know, I don't know, four times a year I could schedule or plan to go to the hospitals and whoever wanted professional pictures with their children would have that opportunity to have them. I know it's hard because, yes, they're all hooked up and, yes, they're sick in the hospital and, yes, that's tough, but Becky told me all she wanted was to go downstairs in their children's hospital and take a Christmas picture by the Christmas tree. That's all she wanted. And the situation never was able to happen. And so they put a little Christmas tree in Everly's room and they all got dressed in their PJs and they took their family Christmas picture there. And that's a picture she's going to cherish forever. But I, and so moral of the story, photography is a way that I can help and I want to. I just don't know if parents would want it. So 
you think about it, let me know what your thoughts are on that because it's something that I'm really trying to figure out how I would make it work. Um, I'm also in like central Nebraska. So getting to the children's hospital from where I live is about three hours away, which is totally fine. I would definitely do it. But I don't know. Do other hospitals offer this? I know like some hospitals have like a um, photography that they partner with as far as like after regular births. But I know like in our situation, it's a lot different. And so it's just something that I've been really thinking about since um, me and Becky were chatting. And so let me know what you think. (laughs) Okay, so I'm officially done. I am so glad you guys listened to the podcast today. I do want to let you guys know that instead of having a Facebook Heart Moms Club group, which we can still keep for us, I have decided to make a a Heart Moms Club podcast page on Facebook. And so this is a way that we can share and spread awareness with more than just people that are, that identify as heart moms. This is a way that we can like coordinate or get our information out there to more people, the heart grandparents, the heart aunts, the heart friends, the heart staff, the physical therapist, occupational speech, Um, people in the education field, because I know that that's another topic that we're going to talk about are 504 plans and IEPs and all of those different things. I just think it's important to be able to share and spread awareness more so um, in addition to us connecting. And so if you look on the links in the podcast description, there's a bunch of them. I'm really sorry. Um, check out our sponsors, check out our Facebook page and groups, check out all of the things there. There's also an Amazon um, storefront there that there's a section that's Heart Moms Club in there. And I've been adding a lot of resources that helped us personally during our either hospital stays, our newborn time, our current time. I just think it's nice to have you know, tried and true things from other people to see. And so definitely check those out. I am fingers crossing going to be posting another podcast on Monday. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping to start Monday or Tuesday of every week posting something. So please keep me accountable. Please rate, subscribe, review all the things. Um, Message me if you need anything, guys. Thank you for listening.